0: My name is also Chris, uh, Chris Sturgeon. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just got to say it real quick, I spent the last seven years of my life as a youth pastor where I would lead at least two mission trips a year. And I'm just tell you, like, think about coming to that meeting uh, at noon next week to learn about the next trip to Cuba because just my experience in leading all those trips is that there are two things that happens. There is nothing else you can do that will build deeper relationships and community or we'll put you in a position to see what God is doing in your own life than going on a trip like that. So if if you're interested in friends or experiencing God, man, there's nothing better you could do. So think about at least just checking out that meeting next week. Um, But until then, I gotta tell you, I am more excited about this Sunday than any Sunday I've ever been to church. And my parents like brought me like the first day I was born, right? So I'm like one of those people. And here's why, this is gonna be the best series that any church has ever done ever. Because it's called, these are a few of my favorite things. And so for the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about my favorite stuff. Isn't that great? You guys are gonna love this as much as I do. Get ready for a full month of hearing about soccer, coffee stouts and the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, let's go. Uh, Actually, uh, we're gonna be talking about some of Jesus's favorite things. Some of the topics that Jesus talked about the most often. In the Bible, there were certain themes, certain ideas that he just constantly came back to, and so we're going to take a look at those over the next couple of weeks. But as I get started today, I want to ask you a question. You probably, on some level, realize this, uh, but Boulder County is a is not a place where a lot of people go to church. In fact, there's a study. Boulder is the second least churched city in the United States. Only Burlington, Vermont, is less churched, whatever that means, than here. And so. You know people, and most people around here don't go to church, which means you know people who don't go to church. So I'm gonna ask some questions and I need you to be responsive, okay? So when I ask a question, just shout stuff out. Here's here's the one we're gonna start. Why? Why don't people wanna come to church? What are some of the reasons that you've heard people say or that you suspect are the reasons? Judgment, (laughs) hypocrisy, yeah. What's that? They're cycling. Uh, Yeah, they're too busy cycling. like, look at the mountains. Why would I come be in a building right now? Like, yeah. What else? Why don't people come? It's boring. It's boring. Yeah. They haven't seen Chris Lagadros' moves, obviously. Uh, what else? Why don't people come? They're, interested in God. They're just not interested in God. Somebody in the first service just said apathy, right? Like, ton of, ton of that, just kind of spiritual apathy. Any, anything else? Get up. <laughs> Nobody wants to get dressed up. And like you know, you've got to get dressed up here. Uh, how about this one? Have you ever heard me say, oh man, those people just want my money. Have you ever run into that one? We got some brothers and sisters on TV who aren't doing a great job of dispelling that myth. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people say, man, I don't want to go to church. Those people just want my money. Let me ask you this question. You're, you're here. Do you think we, Saint Community Church, want your money? Yes, you're right. Good, good. Yeah, we do. <laughs> We're trying to build a $10 million building project for crying out loud. Yeah, we want to. But here's the thing. It's not for the reason you may think. And it's definitely not for the reason that a lot of people outside of the church think. But before I get into that, let me just say, here's two reasons why we aren't here. First reason we're not talking, like, here's reasons why we're not talking about this. Uh, The church is not in trouble, right? I'm not up here talking about money because this is a sinking ship. That is not true. God is honestly constantly amazing us with his generosity to the church, and, and a lot of that comes through you. And so we thank you for that. Not talking about this because the church is in bad shape. I'm also not talking about this because God needs your money, right? I was just talking to him this morning. He just bounced his checkbook. He's, he's good, he's flush right now. So uh, we're not gonna talk about money because God needs your money. But in order to, to get into why we wanna talk about money, I need you to like put on your imagination hat, close your eyes if it's what you need to do. But I want you to imagine a situation, right? Say um, you leave here today and you go, to, you go to the gas station over here and you're filling up and you look over and at the next pump is Jesus Christ filling his car up with gas. And you have a chance to have a conversation face-to-face with Jesus. What would you want to talk to Jesus about? What would you want to talk to him about? Nothing, you got nothing to say to the son of God incarnate right next to you? Like, what would you want to, what would you want to hear Jesus talk about? Forgiveness, Forgiveness yeah, I definitely use that one. What else? Love. love. Mm. Yes, Jesus. Tell me about love. About healing. Anybody like to have a conversation with Jesus about some healing in their life? That'd be would be pretty good. I think I'd ask him how he turned that water into wine because that would be a useful trick. Um, <laughs> second question: What would Jesus want to talk to you about? Is it the same list? Or is it a different one? See, when I read the scriptures and you see what Jesus kind of does, he there's a, a central theme. Kind of everything he says. He's kind of constantly talking to people about, hey, what would the kind of world my my, my father's trying to bring into be, what would that look like in your context? He's taking a look at the culture around him and and watching, saying, Hey, what are the things in this culture that are pulling people away from me? See, Jesus was always focused on the war for our hearts. He was always looking, hey, what are the things that are battling for a piece of your heart? And that's what Jesus would wanna talk about. And so imagine, if you will, Jesus is walking around Flatirons Mall, right? He's just cruising around. What's he gonna see there? Say he's taking a a cruise down Pearl Street or he's at the 29th Street Mall up in Boulder. He's gonna be looking at the culture. What do I see? What does it look like might be battling for a piece of people's hearts? I moved here last September, and one of the first things I noticed is that Boulder has a look, right? Now, if you've been here a while, maybe you can't see it anymore, but when you move here from out of state, you're like, oh yeah, there is a definite look to Boulder, and it looks a little bit like this. It used to be you just needed like some kind of cool hiking jacket, so like Patagonia, but now that's too mainstream, so it has to be a brand no one's ever heard of, so it's gotta be like Fjallraven. Is that how you say that? I don't even know. You see that store on, on, on uh, Pearl Street? Fjall, fjall, fjallraven? raven? Like, I don't don't know how you say it. So you got to have like this cool, like outdoorsy, but kind of old timey jacket. Um, If you're a dude, you have to have a gloriously oiled beard, you know, I I can really only do the neck beard. So I don't do that one because it's a little patchy up here and you like shape the mustache. Like that's a pretty bolder thing. And you're wearing handcrafted artisanal vegan boots made by a Yeti in Nepal or something like that. Um, while you're riding a $3,000 bike that that you've tried really hard to make look like it's 90 years old and has been through a trash compactor, um, you put it on top of your Subaru, right? You gotta drive around in your Subaru with some cool skis next to it and you got some great hiking gear and a paddleboard and a kayak and you got it. there's a look to Boulder. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's a look. Here's the thing. It takes a lot of stuff to get the look and every one of those things costs money. I noticed when I moved here that there is a, an extreme gravity to the culture of materialism in Boulder. It costs a lot to look Boulder. See, yeah, the church, the church does want your money. But way more than we want your money, we want you to experience freedom. We want you to experience freedom. And the real reason we're gonna talk about money and generosity today is because we care enough to talk about the things that are uncomfortable to talk about. Money and politics are two things you're not supposed to talk about, right? We will talk about the stuff that is uncomfortable to talk about if it deeply impacts people's lives. And I can't think of many things that impact our lives more than money. And that's not to say that money is bad. Please don't walk away hearing that. I'll say that like a bunch of times in a row. Money is not bad. Money is not bad. But money can do things to us that is bad. When it grows out of proportion in the portion of your life that you're spending thinking about it and worrying about it, when it starts to expand, it can lie to us, it can consume us, it can distract us, and those things are harmful to us. Eventually, money, it can create this sense of dependence in us where we're like, man, this is the one thing I need. That's the answer to all of my problems. And if you really want to, like, get going and be committed to your own spiritual development, this has to be an issue that we talk about. It just can't be something that goes unsaid. That's why we're going to talk about it. Also, anytime something shows up in the Bible, it's probably worth investigating a little bit. And if it shows up in the Bible two or three times, well, it's two or three times probably more important to talk about. Did you know in the Bible, there are over 500 verses that talk about prayer? Apparently, prayer is kind of a big deal, right? Actually, less than that, there's less less than 500 verses that talk about faith. But I think we probably all understand faith. That that seems like a big deal when I'm talking about trying to follow God. Well, the Bible has over 2000 verses over 2000 verses that talk about money and giving. That not only tells us it's a big deal, it tells us this has always been a big deal. This has always been something that really dramatically impacts people. And so today up here, my job is to get you stirred up a little bit, maybe to make your heart beat a little bit faster. That's okay. You can walk away and tell your friends how crazy I am. That's cool. But just know that's what I'm going for because I know you can work it out afterwards. And to make sure that I get there, what we're going to do um, is we're going to look at all 2,000 of those verses. So let's buckle up. Um, good Lord willing and the crick don't rise. We ought to be out of here by Wednesday. So let's get three. We're going to look at three passages. So only three, promise. The first one is in Matthew chapter 25, verses uh, 14 through 29. It's a little bit of a longer passage. It's a parable. We did a series on parables, a two series back. Essentially, it's this. Jesus, who's always looking around, looking at the culture, trying to see what's battling for people's hearts, would then kind of create these just kind of teaching fables, teaching stories, using terms that people understood to help them understand what he's talking about. This is one of those parables. So he tells us this story. Jesus said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to him. For all, real quick, again, a parable. Each of these characters represents someone else. Who do you think the man going on the journey represents? Anybody? God, the man is God, right? And he calls together his servants. Who are the servants? Us, yeah, you guys are super confident in shouting those answers out. Um, so again, it'll be like a man, God. Going on a journey, who called his servants, us, and entrusted his wealth to him. Whose wealth? God's wealth. Great. All right, let's keep going. Uh, So he calls them together. To one servant, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. "'Harvesting where you have not sown "'and gathering where you have not scattered seed. "'So I was afraid and went out "'and hid your gold in the ground. "'See, here's what belongs to you.' "'His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. "'So you knew that I harvest where where, where I have not sown "'and gather where I have not scattered seed. "'Well, then you should have put my money "'on deposit with the banker "'so that when I returned, "'I would have received it back with interest. "'Take the bag of gold from him "'and give it to the one who has 10 bags.' For those who have will be given more and they will have an abundance. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And it goes even worse for that guy from there, but we'll cut off the story right there. But before we go on, this is so important to remember. God is the owner. We are the servants. God is the, we are the, God is the, we are the, Gold. God is the owner. This is the key concept. If you don't hear anything else, if you miss this, you miss everything because this is the key concept to everything we're going to say. Because if you don't get this right, if you don't get right the idea that God is the owner, then I don't think you'll ever get started on your journey of generosity. God is the owner. But this is actually a really hard concept for us to get a hold of because actually, I think we are just born into selfishness. Nothing comes more naturally to us than selfishness. And all you need to know to prove that is a toddler, right? Like, do you think anybody's ever gone and hired a tutor to teach their kid to be more selfish? Has anybody ever said, you know, my kid shares too much? Uh, can you help me with that? If you've ever had kids or been around them, there's a word that a toddler learns pretty darn early that will negatively impact the rest of her parents' life. And do you know what that word is? Mine. Didn't even have to prompt you on that one. You knew. I said God is the owner like five times in a row. You said mine louder than that. Like mine. My my, my first kid was two when she learned that word. My second kid who doesn't say daddy yet says mine. She's one. She says two words, mine and no. Like it's hard. We get it. There is something natural in each one of us that just gravitates towards selfishness. It's hard to get the concept that God is the owner. In fact, sometimes uh, I see this in myself. I get such like, oh, this, these are my things. I have these, I earned them. I made this money. I bought this, this is mine. And sometimes I'll get kind of like up and be like, you know what God? You've been doing me a pretty good solid this week. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give some money away. You're welcome. You know, or like, God, hey, thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's been going, going pretty good. Let me, uh, yeah, I'm going to go volunteer for a couple hours this week. I'm going to give back to you, God. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give back from what's mine to you. The truth is, you actually can't give something back to God because it's all God's already. You can't give to God what is already God's. But we get this idea that God's not the owner, that I'm the owner. And when we do that, it can create in us this sense of arrogance. There's a a verse in the Old Testament, Psalm 24, verse one. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What I love about this is, uh, so the Psalms were were written in ancient Hebrew and the word that we translate everything. Do you know what that word actually means? everything, like all the things. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. God is the owner. But we tend to think that we are. And what goes further, we tend to then think that these things equate to happiness. Have You ever had that sense, like, if you really look at it that you start to feel like, you know, I think I'm about, I'm one possession away. One possession away from happiness. This totally happens with me. I'll just get focused on something. Like, oh, man, if I could just get that new iPhone, then I'd be happy. Or, oh, if I can just get uh, this new pair of shoes, then I'd have it set. If I could just get this new outfit, if I could just uh, remodel my kitchen, if I could just get a house in that neighborhood, if I just get this one thing, then I'd be happy. And I've been doing this my whole life. And I, sometimes I get those things. And for like a minute, I'm happy. But as soon as I get it, it's like, oh, but that thing, I'm just one thing away from the life I really want. When I moved here uh, this past September, I came from what is actually the most expensive zip code in the United States of America. So I was living in the Silicon Valley and about a half a mile north of our church was a town called Atherton, California. And Atherton is the most expensive place in the United States to buy property. And to give you an idea of the scale, we're talking about Atherton, number one, Beverly Hills, number 14, right? It is the town where the CEOs of Google, of Apple, of Intel, of YouTube, of eBay, all live. This is the richest place in the world. These are the people that I lived with, that I worked with, that I served with for the last seven years. And you would think if it is true that it's all mine, and if I can just get the things I want, then I'll have the life I would live, then Atherton should put Disneyland to shame, right? It should be the happiest place on earth. And it is not. It's not. I was a youth pastor there, and I have this distinct memory of this one day. I'm, I'm giving a talk to my students, and I've got like 150 high school kids in the room and all of a sudden something just jumps to my mind as I'm, as I'm scanning the crowd. Because in my role as the pastor, I knew these kids well, I knew their families well, end up knowing a lot about them. And I'm looking around the room and I'm like, over half of these kids, over 50% I know are currently in treatment or have been for clinical anxiety and depression. Many of them have attempted suicide. Some of them have had to be sent away to residential care for over a year just to get well enough for their parents to believe that they can trust them alone it is the richest place in America and it is not the happiest. No matter how much that pattern gets stuck in our brain, you are not one possession away from happiness because you're not the owner and owning something more is not gonna fix that for you. So let's take a look back kind of of at, at some of the specific lines in this verse. Verse 21, this is where the guy who was given five bags of gold has come back to his master, said, hey, you gave me five, I earned five more. This is how the master replies to him. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I love this because if you were reading this um, instead of on the screen in your actual Bible, if you look down in the footnotes, it will probably tell you that one of those bags of gold was equal to about one, uh, 20 years of your salary. One bag of gold is 20 years of salary. That's a lot of money. No matter how much money you make right now, if somebody came and said, hey, in one giant lump sum, I'm gonna give you 20 years worth of your earning potential. You would be like, oh my gosh, think, like, this will change my life forever. This is an enormous amount. This guy's given five bags. He's handed 100 years worth of his earning potential. And he comes back in his master. You see what he says? You have been faithful with a few things. Like a hundred years of salary does not feel like a few things to me. That feels like a big deal. And he says, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. He's saying, you think this is a blessing? You think I put something worthwhile in your life here? Wait till you see what I have in store for you. Because for me, you're gonna receive grace. You're gonna receive mercy. You're gonna receive forgiveness. You're gonna receive all of those things that we said we would want to talk to Jesus about. You're gonna feel acceptance in a way you never imagined. You're gonna feel known and loved and cared for and supported. You are going to know me and my father. You are faithful with a few things. Well, get ready to have your socks knocked off because I'm going to trust you with many things. See, this dude was given a ton of money, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, I got something way better for you than that. Way better for you than that. That was nothing. Wait till you see what I have coming your way. And I also want to say this. I love that. This, I mean, this is an enormous, this is a rich, wealthy man. And he is not shamed. He is celebrated. And sometimes we miss this in the church. And like, for me, it's just because like, I just wish I was really rich and wealthy, right? So it's easy for me to want to like look down my nose at people who are. That's not what Jesus does. He says, well done. Come celebrate with me. See, there are people in this world, there are people in this room You are just really good at what you do. You are really good at making money. You understand business in a way I never will. You understand investment. Like I don't even hardly know how to spell that word, right? Like there are people who are great at making money. And here's what what God's saying. Awesome. That's a gift I gave you. Do it. Do it well. Enjoy it. And then be generous. And then be generous. I am so, this church couldn't exist if it wasn't for some individuals who are just exceptionally good at making money. And I'm glad they are, and I'm glad that they've been faithful to what God has called them to in that. Let's go on, because, so the guy with five talents, and uh, some, some of the translations they'll refer to uh, the gold as a talent. Um, so the guy with five earns five more. The guy with two earns two more. They get the same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come celebrate with me, share in my happiness. The final guy though, he handled things a little bit differently. So let's look at verses 24 and 25. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. So this, this verse actually used to really bother me. So I'd be like, gosh, is, is God a hard man? Who, who harvests where he's not sown and gathers where he's not scattered seed. And, and I've had to realize I was reading this wrong. See, the issue for the third guy is that he has the wrong idea about his master. Have you ever had the wrong idea about God? I grew up um, nine hours east of here in the suburbs of Kansas City, right across the desolate desolate wasteland that is Kansas and the land of bounty and wonder that is Missouri, that's where I grew up. Um, but you could say that like the, the tradition, like the church I grew up in was a pretty conservative place. And, and I grew up with, with a, a wrong idea about God. And this is kind of what my idea was. I thought that, that to follow God, to be, to be a good Christian, meant here's this long list of stuff not to do. And as long as I don't do it, I'm okay. But I better not do it because what God is doing is he's standing up front like an exam proctor, right? Just looking over everything I do, waiting for me to mess up so he can pounce and punish me. That's kind of... My, my thought my whole life is about just follow the rules, do the right thing. I had the wrong idea about God. My, my, honestly, my image of God probably related most closely to Filch from Harry Potter. You know what I'm talking about? Like the squib who wanders the halls with his cat, Mrs. Norris, just looking for students who are out of bed late so he can punish them. That's kind of who I thought God was. And that's, that's not who God is. The third guy in this story He has the wrong idea about God and it has made him fearful and stingy. He was given to get me and we can get caught up. Sometimes you're like, well, how come the other guy got five and the other guy got two? He only got one. He got 20 years worth of his earning potential. He got a lot. He received a beautiful and wonderful gift and he didn't share it. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't use it to enable him to do really special and great things. He hid it. Who's afraid of it. See, if you have the wrong idea about God, that's what will happen. If you have the idea that God is just sitting up there waiting for you to mess up so he can snatch everything away from you, it's naturally gonna make you wanna cling to things, to hold things. It's gonna turn you inward. You'll be clutching and grabbing. And guys, that's just not who God is. That is not who God is. And it's so clear from the first two. The first two are given a gift. They do their best with it. And he says, well done, let's go have a party. Can you think of God that way? As one who wants to give you something great, enable you to do something great with it, and then celebrate with you. It all comes down to what is your view of God? What is it? What's your view of God? For me, the root of that comes down to like, like, I'm trying to think what kind of life do I think God wants for me? What kind of life does God want? There's this great verse uh, later in the Bible. It's in First Timothy. Um, and we'll go through a few verses in this passage, but starting with verse 17, it says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our, anybody know what the next word is? Anybody? Enjoyment. Who said it? One of you said it. Nice. Way to go, Ben. You the man. But to put, uh, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, not just your sustenance, not just to help you get by, but to live a life you enjoy. That is the kind of God that we have. That is the kind of God that we're talking about. And the truth is, I don't believe that there is anything in this world that can lead to to a life more filled with enjoyment than living a life close to Jesus, living a life close to God, living in the kind of world that he's trying to bring into being. Let's take a closer look at at that sentence. It starts out this way. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, now, anytime you're reading the Bible, a, you, you want to make sure you're aware, who's the audience? Who is this verse talking to? Which means we have to ask ourselves this question. Who's rich? Who's rich? Anybody want to venture a guess? This is one of those things where everybody's like, I think the guy up front wants me to say we are, but I don't feel rich, so I don't want to. ah. I'm going to ask you this question. When you got up this morning and it was time to get ready for church um, and you had to get dressed, did any of you have a choice in what you put on? Did you, did you? Maybe you're like, oh, man, I don't even know. I don't know which accessories to use. I'm trying to look right. In a lot of the world, if you had more than one set of clothing, that would be a sign of wealth. Or how about this? Uh, when you woke up this morning, were you laying on a big, fluffy, soft thing? Mmm, mattresses. I love my mattress. Ooh, it's good. I got one of those ones you order on the internet and it comes all rolled up and you let it you're like it was awesome. Love that thing. How about this? When you opened your eyes this morning, did you see the sky? Or did you see a ceiling? There's a roof over your head. How about this one? How'd you get to church today? Did you drive or did you walk? How about this? I'll bet some of you had to choose which car are we gonna take to church this morning? And see, we don't want to say it, but what this, I love it. This is, command those who are rich in this present world. Well, in this world, if in your household, you make over $34,000 in a year, you're in the top 1% of human beings alive on this planet. If you in your entire combined household make 34K, top 1% globally, command those who are rich. Talking about us. And what I think is interesting is that I'll bet most of you, just like me, would not generally define yourself as rich. And there's a study done, which I think illustrates this, it's fascinating to me. Um, real smart people did this study. They asked a bunch of people who made $30,000 a year, hey, you make 30K a year, what would, how much would you need to make in a year in order to consider yourself rich? And those people said, $60,000. Ugh, oh, if I made 60K in a year, then I would be rich. So then they asked a bunch of people who made $50,000 in a year. Hey, how much would you need to make in a year in order to consider yourself rich? Anybody wanna venture a guess how much they said they would need to make? $100,000, yeah, they just double. If I could make $100,000 a year, then I would be rich. So then they asked people who made $100,000 a year, hey, how much would you need to make in a year in order to consider yourself rich? You know what they said? $200,000 a year. There's a pattern here. Catch it. Um, so then they, they up the ending. They go to the people who made a million dollars a year. Doesn't it seem silly to even ask a person making a million dollars a year? How much more would you need to be rich, right? They ask people making a million dollars every year how much more would you need to make in order to consider yourself rich? And what did they say? Five million dollars a year. Yeah. They're either the most selfish or the smartest. I'm not sure which. Um, but at its heart, every one of those people they asked gave the same answer. How much more would you need in order to be rich? More. More. Honestly, the amount more doesn't matter. Everybody said, I, you know what? I'm just not there yet. Nobody wants to define themselves as rich. This verse is talking to us. And he goes on, command those who are rich in this present world not to be rich. Arrogant, okay. So now we've already learned that, that we're rich. Who's arrogant? Nobody wants to say it, it's us again, spoiler alert. Let me tell you the story. When I was in high school, actually for my whole life, I grew up in a car family and a specific kind of car family. My dad was a hot rodder, you know what this, what this is? So for my whole life in our garage, there was a 1948 Chevrolet half ton pickup. And over the years it changed how it looked a lot. Eventually it looked like this. Right there's the side of it. Here's a shot of the front. That was my dad's hot rod. He'd spend all of his weekends going to car shows with that thing. I got dragged to a lot of them from very early in my life. But that is an awesome car. He cut uh, eight inches out of the roof, brought that down, so you know the windshield's only about this tall. It sits on a rake. If you don't know what that means, the back's higher than the front, so it looks kind of mean when it's going down the road. It's got big fat uh, back tires. it's got a small block 305 in it, makes a lot of noise. It's got dual exhaust glass packs on the back. Like it's loud, it's fast, it's red, it's flashy. And he totally let me drive it all the time. No, that's not, that's not true. I was not allowed to drive that car. I saw it, I thought it was awesome. I wanted to, but I wasn't allowed to. And then two years before I finished high school in my senior year, my dad pulled me aside and said, Chris, I am really proud of you, son. And I want you to drive the truck for, for the rest of your, your time in school and oh man, I was through the roof, right? I would get to school early and literally I would bring lawn chairs and my friends and I would sit in the bed of that truck in the parking lot letting other people show up because I wanted to be seen in it, you know? I would drive around the parking lot. After school, i just drive all around town. I had nowhere to go. I just wanted to be out in this big, red, loud, cool looking car because I felt awesome when I was driving that truck. And an interesting thing about old cars, if any of you guys are old car people, if you come to an intersection and you're in an old car and there's somebody else in an old car, you have like a camaraderie there. You know, you wave or you nod. And I love that too. Cause I'd always watch my dad do it, but now I was driving. I remember this time uh, I'm, I'm at a, a stoplight. And of course, you know, I got the window down, my arm out and I'm driving like this, and sunglasses on, you know, I'm trying to like look as cool as I can. And this guy, this guy pulls up and, um, He's probably like, you know, I don't know, like 58. This is his car. And I'm like, what's up, man? You know, I'm trying to be really cool. I remember this guy just looks at me and he's like, dude. Because you know what he's thinking. He's like, kid, you're driving your dad's truck, right? Like, you're trying to be cool. You're trying to look out. That's not yours. You're driving your dad's truck. You are driving your dad's truck. You're living in a home that your father provided for you. You're working at a job that your dad made for you. You're enjoying relationships that God put in place for you to enjoy. You wear clothes that were given as a gift to you. You even have a personality that God shaped and made for you. You're driving your dad's truck because God is the owner. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God is the owner, we are the servants. But man, I lose sight of that every day every day i lose sight of that and i just start to think man you know i've worked hard i've earned this i deserve this but but one thing i've learned a a way that i can start to counter that lie creeping into my life is just every time i get out of my car just saying god thank you god thank you when i walk into my home I'm saying thank you dad when I get to come to work here with people who I really love and feel like I'm doing something that I'm, I'm good at and I was made for and that is worthwhile, say, God, praise you, Jesus, that I get to do this. Thank you. Thank you. So it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And, and I love that it says that, because honestly, what I think money tells us is that, It offers us certainty, right? We think if I have money, then I have power, then I have control, right? I can control my life. I can insulate myself from anything that could go wrong if I just have enough money. And we think that if I have money, I have power. And then the stock market crashes or the housing market explodes. And all of a sudden, the thing that told me I was taken care of, that it was certain, has become the most uncertain thing in my life. If you think about it, the dollar, U.S. dollar, what's it say on it? It says, in God we trust. Even money doesn't trust money, right? Like, (laughs) but we do. He says, man, command them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See guys in this life, your hope is gonna follow your heart. And if your heart is captivated with money and what it can provide for you, that's where your hope is gonna be also. But if you set your heart, if you point it towards the Lord, you can put your hope in the one thing. There is one thing in all of existence that is eternal and that is always certain. One thing, and it's God. Then it ends. And this is just such a beautiful way to end anything. And the verses in eighteen nineteen says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I just love that, the life that is truly life because at the core, that's what we're all looking for, right? We're trying to figure out how do I live the good life? How do I live the best life available for me? And he says, There's, there's two things you got to do. There are two ways to take hold of the life that is truly life. And he says, Do good and be generous. Do good and be generous. And listen, not because that is the secret formula that makes God have to give you all the stuff that you want, it's the pathway to freedom. Do good. Be generous, it will set you free and it will help you to experience the life that is truly life. And it all starts with having the right view of God. That's where it starts. And an interesting thing happens, when you start living generously, when you start doing good and being generous, it can actually heal a broken view of God. If you have the wrong view about God, it's, it's hard just to just be like, I'm gonna think something different today. You start doing those two things. You start to experience, oh my gosh, I can, I can be generous. I can say yes to the needs of others around me instead of always focusing on how to get more for me. And God still provides for me. And in fact, I'm having these moments where he's saying, well done, come share in my happiness. You can be the sort of person who lives a life that makes other people's life better. You can get to have those stories in life of, of people who are fundamentally changed because the way you lived an outward-facing, giving, generous life towards them. One of my favorite stories about this, a couple weeks ago, we had our, our mega sports camp here. Uh, it's a camp for, for like little kids. My, my daughter got to come for the first year. She had a great time. You know what the best thing about sports camp was? There were 12 kids at sports camp who got to come because of the generosity of people in this church. And they were a special group of kids because if you've been around here very long, you know that one of the things that this church does that is one of the coolest things is every uh, Christmas, we do a huge toy drive and you guys just blow the roof off this place with the toys that you give. And there's, there's a Louisville police officer, Officer Haymore, who he takes those toys to families all up and down the front range, giving gifts to kids who would not get a Christmas present otherwise. That is an amazing gift of generosity. Well, this year, Officer Haymore got to go to those families and say, hey, you know that church that gave you those Christmas presents? They're having this great camp. You know what's even better? People in that church paid for your kid to go. 12 families got approached and say, hey, you probably didn't have a whole lot planned for your kid this summer, but, but some people in this church got together, they gave generously, and your kid gets to come. There's a camp just for you, and it's not gonna cost you anything. How cool is that, right? Like, how great is that? That is the kind of life that is truly life. That's what the scriptures here are telling us is available to us. When we get, and this is important, not that we're obliged to, when we get to live a a life that says yes to the needs of others, instead of always thinking about how can I hold on to more for me, we get to be a part of that kind of blessing. And let me tell you, it is so much better than whatever the next possession is. It is so much better than whatever the next possession is. So let me wrap it up this way. We have a God who is loving and generous, who is setting the tone for us. A God who is eager to give you great things that will enable you to do even greater things and then to celebrate it. A God who gives richly, extravagantly, and abundantly and who's saying, listen, guys, here's the deal. You get the chance to live the same way. Here's, here's where I think the challenge is. How do we flip the script in our head to see the opportunity to give generously as an opportunity rather than an obligation? A chance to take hold of the life that is truly life. You pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this place. It's beautiful outside, God. That's a gift from you. We get to look at these mountains that you made. We get to experience this blue sky, warm weather that that you put in place for us. But God, here's what we wanna be grateful for today. You could just on your own do all the good in this world. But instead you've said, I wanna invite you into the fun. I wanna invite you into the party. So God, as we go, help us to know where are our opportunities to make a difference, to say yes to the needs of others. God, help us to take hold of that life that is truly life.